Welcome to Morning Ireland Extra with me, Lisa Pereira. Every day, our reporters gather material for stories that we then broadcast on our daily Morning Ireland radio programme. This podcast brings you deeper into those stories. Kian McCormack, hello again. Hello, Lisa. Kian, we're speaking as President Donald Trump has just announced a suspension of US aid to the World Health Organization and his nightly press conferences descend into a catfight between himself and the assembled journalists. Now, he claims the WHO has mismanaged the pandemic while the journalists question his own handling of it. He also this week had a difference of opinion on when economic activities should return to the various states in the United States. He said that he, as president, would decide when that would happen, but many state governors disagreed, saying that the authority rested with them. And New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo accused President Donald Trump of spoiling for a fight. And New York State is the one that you've been looking at more closely, Kian. Who did you speak to there? Well, I spoke to two people, Angela Roberts. She's originally from Dublin and up to this point, she was working in an operating room as a nurse for the past 23 years. But because of COVID-19, she's now working in a COVID-19 ward. Also as well, Michael Dowling, who is originally from Limerick, he is the president and CEO of Northwell Health, which has 73,000 health staff and 23 hospitals in New York. And what they offered were interesting perspectives and advice on how New York is dealing with the virus. Is there a feeling that it's reaching its peak, Kian? There is a feeling, but there's lots of caution about that as well, because we see hospitalisations have declined in terms of numbers. The numbers themselves are staggering. Fatalities have reached over 10,800 and there are almost 200,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19. So there's a feeling that New York is edging near the peak if it's not there already. But there is also the opinion that, well, let's be careful about what we say, because New York may not be out of the woods yet. And so you spoke to Angela Roberts first. Why don't we hear that interview? My name is Angela Roberts and I am an operating room nurse. And you're originally from? Oh, I'm originally from Dublin. Um, I I trained in Ireland and I came to America. I've been working at my current location for 23 years as an operating room nurse. Do you continue to do that in the current environment because things have changed dramatically over the last number of weeks? No, actually, I'm not working in the operating room at the moment. As things have been changing, what has been happening at my particular hospital is that the operating room staff, which are a large body of people who are currently not being used in the operating room because we're only doing emergency cases. So therefore, we are being deployed to other parts of the hospital, essentially to fill in in all kinds of roles, whatever is required of us in these unprecedented times. They're unprecedented times and your role has changed. So when did it change and what are you doing now? 
oh for sure my role has changed well the first couple of weeks when we started rolling this out i was involved in training for and then carrying out fit testing on the entire staff of the hospital because everybody needed to be fit tested for the particular kind of n95 respirator mask that we were using so myself and several of my colleagues from the operating theater were engaged in that role for several days maybe for almost a week I think some of one or two of my colleagues are still doing that, whereas I've been deployed to other departments now. In the last couple of weeks, I've been deployed mainly to other units in the hospital that have become COVID units. And we receive patients after they've been discharged from the intensive care unit, but they're still very sick. And that's really the kind of care that I've been giving most of the time the last couple of weeks. When they reach you, what kind of condition are these patients in uh, what have they been through well it's you feel so sad for these patients because to start off with they're all far away from their families they can't see them they can't have visitors some of them don't speak english because that's the dynamic of the patient group that we have here and all of them have been very sick they're very sick this is a very exhausting illness it's very difficult to see those patients like struggling to breathe, all of them require oxygen, and sometimes just the simple activity of just sitting up and eating is exhausting for them. And it's very difficult for them, it's very sad to have to watch. But on the other hand, working in those units for several days in a row, you get a view that I don't normally have in the operating room, because normally in the operating room you see patients only for a very short period of time. Whereas in the role that I'm in right now, it's back to very basic nursing. And that's really what I'm doing is basic bedside nursing, assisting my fellow med surge nurses. And it's lovely to see those patients over a period of days gradually being able to breathe better, require maybe less oxygen to the point where they're able to maybe get up and walk to the bathroom or walk around the unit without having to be on oxygen all the time. And it then when they get to the point where you see them being discharged, it's great. It must really give you an insight in relation to what's happening when maybe you walk down the street an hour after coming off shift and if you were to look at two people who weren't social distancing properly, you really do offer a perspective on what happens to someone if they don't follow the rules. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, when you're in there in the COVID units and you're seeing what the patients are going through and the stress that we're experiencing taking care of these patients, you do, you come home and it's essential as a healthcare worker that you actually model that behavior, you model the social distancing, you model staying at home. It's such a critical thing because nobody wants to to see the, to be the sick, to see what this can do to to see what this can do to people it's an extremely it's very debilitating we're seeing patients who maybe were never quite sick enough to make it to the icu but they're um we're, we're seeing patients who are very sick they're sick enough to be hospitalized and they're sick enough to require quite a bit of oxygen and they're they're very sick and they need help with just the very fundamental activities of daily living and it's very hard for them and it's very hard for us. And then when you come home, you know, you want to see people doing what is a socially responsible thing so that um, 
you know, we can hopefully push forward and get this period in time to be behind us. You really have an insight in terms of how people are physically in ICU or when they come out of it. How do you describe that in the best way to people who don't know? Patients who are sick enough to be in the hospital are very sick. You know, the people who are not that sick with this illness, they're able to stay home. The patients that we're seeing in the hospital, and we have to keep this in perspective, actually, to keep our own sanity. You have to remember that we are only seeing the very sickest of the sick in the hospital. And those people, they're having trouble breathing. They're running a fever. They're having all the symptoms that we're seeing being described. And, you know, most of them are requiring oxygen, although as they continue to recover, their oxygen requirement decreases. And that's a great thing for us because that tells us that they're getting better. But during the time that they're with us, they're in need of great care, a great amount of care. Do you ever worry about your own safety? I do because we're in a situation where we're dealing with a virus that, you know, we're still learning about. And sometimes people say to me, you know, do you worry about going to work in the COVID units? And really the answer to that question is, while I worry about it, I don't mind doing it because as a professional, we are trained to deal with isolation, to deal with taking care of patients in isolation. And that requires putting on your personal protective equipment, your PPE in a specific sequence. And then when you're leaving, taking it off in a very specific sequence. And every year during your professional development, you visit that and you go over that. So essentially, you're trained for that. So when I go into the COVID units, I feel like I'm dressed for the occasion. I sometimes feel more distressed when I'm going to the supermarket, where although people are doing everything they can to distance themselves, wear masks, wear gloves, etc., You don't have the same protocols that you have in a healthcare setting. So therefore, you don't have quite the same safety. So the answer is like, I'm actually more comfortable in the COVID unit than I am going to the supermarket, because at least I know what I'm dealing with there. You mentioned PPE in New York. I was reading today that the authorities say there's a sufficient amount of it. Are you happy as a nursing professional that you have enough PPE to keep you going and to keep you safe? I have not run into a situation at the hospital where we haven't had enough PPE to keep us safe. So I think, you know, we are covered. We are careful. We try not to be wasteful, but we, most importantly, we put our safety first because we, the healthcare workers, aren't going to be there to take care of the patients if we don't take care of ourselves. And I know that that's how our management and the leadership at my hospital feels as well. They, they impress on us all the time the importance of us taking care of ourselves, both in terms of protecting ourselves and in terms of our mental health, because this is a very difficult time for all of us. From a personal point of view, do you worry about working in a COVID-19 ward? Um, well, of course I worry. I think everybody worries. And, you know, you think to yourself, like, what am I bringing home with me, maybe? But if you're doing all the right things and using your PPE correctly and being vigilant with your hand washing and your distancing, even from your own colleagues, well, you know, you're doing the right things. But I will say that when I come home every day, 
I immediately go straight to the shower. I don't, like my daughter doesn't touch me. I don't touch the dog. I just go straight into the shower, shower, change my clothes, and then get on about our, my business at the house. And they're not, that's not a practice that I wouldn't ordinarily do. But right now, that's something that I'm doing. You were saying just a few moments ago that you feel more threatened visiting your local supermarket, probably because there are less controls in place. Can you just tell me that again? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. You know, in the hospital, there's a lot of control and, and you follow a sequence, which is what you're required to do. Whereas when you go to the supermarket, I personally always wear a mask. I always wear gloves. Um, I use my own shopping bags from home. And um, then when I'm finished with my shopping and I've put my groceries in the car, I dispose of my gloves that I used in the store before I leave the store. And then when I come home, I use different gloves to take everything out and wash everything again before I put it in the cupboard or in the fridge. And I also try to only go to the supermarket about once every two weeks. If I, you, I can't go to the supermarket for just odd items here and there. You have to be very prepare and everybody has to do this keep a list and you know limit your trips to the supermarket or anywhere else to the absolute minimum the numbers in new york are staggering really when you look at 188,000 yeah. people testing positive nearly 189,758 uh, yeah. fatalities on saturday and mm. when you go back over the last six days it's all over 700 deaths per day it's hard to get your head around. I know the population is obviously bigger in New York when compared to Ireland. But do, do you think in those terms or do you think in terms of the individuals who you're dealing with there? Because when we're talking about numbers, uh, we're talking about numbers and we're maybe not considering the real lives behind those numbers. Well, you're right. The numbers here are high, but then the population here is high. So you have to bear that in mind. And as I said earlier, at the hospital, you have to remember for your own mental health that we are only seeing the very sickest of the sick. But yeah, absolutely, as a nurse, like I see those patients every day. They're people. They're people who have families. They're people who are sick. They're people who are afraid. They're people who are stuck in the situation just like we all are. And, you know, of course, my heart goes out to them. And, you know, part of my job is not just to you know, provide the physical assistance that they need. But part of our job just as human beings is to provide them with compassion and reassurance and try to put yourself in their position and think, how would I feel if I was lying here in this hospital bed? I can't go outside the door. I barely know what the weather is like outside if I'm lucky enough to be in a room that faces out onto the outside of the building. You know, I don't know, um, you know, when I'm going to be able to go home. I'm eating hospital food and sleeping in hospital linens. You know, that's that's a hard thing. I do think that every day when I come home, actually, I say, oh, I'm so glad to just be able to lie down and sleep in my own bed. It's funny, in a situation like that, the little things like this that you're thankful for. But it's those little things that you're thankful for that helps you to go into work the next day bringing your very best self with you, knowing that the people that you're taking care of you know, really need the reassurance, you know, that they're going to be okay. Because we have to think positive. We have to be positive. We want our patients to to get well and to be discharged home and to be able to be with their families. 
and then when they get there to continue to stay at home social distance of course and while you see people being discharged and going home to their families and making a recovery the reality of nursing is that you see people going in the other direction as well where they cannot be helped and unfortunately they pass yeah have you had to deal with i personally have not um I've not been in the position yet to have to take care of patients who are quite that ill. But like so many of my colleagues and so many of my neighbours and friends, there's I can think of nobody who doesn't at least know somebody who knows somebody who has lost a family member or a friend. Everybody knows somebody who's had a death that has been connected to COVID. And it's awfully sad. It's awfully sad because every single, every single number you see reported every day, you have to remember that behind every single number is a person and a family, people who are grieving. That's a really hard thing, actually, because families can't have funerals or their usual, you know, traditional burials and grieving processes that their culture allows. Nobody can have that at the moment. And I think to myself that that's got to be a really really difficult thing it just makes the situation so much more difficult makes you ask yourself you know when you read in history about the world wars you know you read stories about the experiences people had then people died and they had to just move on because they had no other choice and kind of in some ways you think the situation that we're experiencing today it's a little bit like that you know because the enemy is all around us, except that we can't see the enemy in this particular case. I spoke to a retired detective a number of days ago. I asked him to reflect on his own career because he's retired now and how the events that are happening and unfolding as we speak compare to other events that may have happened over his career. So how does what's happening today compare to any other time over your nursing career in the New York State? Well, you know, Ken, I think I can honestly say that like every single other nurse, doctor and healthcare worker here or in Ireland, none of us have ever had an experience like this before. A couple of people have, I've heard say at work actually the other day, somebody was saying this is a little bit like the World Trade Center attacks in slow motion. And in a way, I can kind of see that. But in a way, um, I can't say that I can agree with that because this isn't something that was deliberate or intentional. This is something that's very unfortunate that that we have no control over. But I also have to say that um, in my professional capacity and in my experience as professional as a, as a healthcare worker, having you know been here for other big events that affected the public, I think one thing that's really helped to me and helps I think in my hospital is that we really have very very strong leadership at my hospital we have very um, supportive compassionate leaders our CEO or chief medical officer or VP for nursing and they're very present to the staff they're not um, behind closed doors in the command center you know issuing instructions they're out and about, up on the unit. Sometimes you see them even getting suited up and going in there to see the state of play. They're talking to the staff. They're listening to the staff. 
And another thing that they do every day that I really appreciate is every day we all get a text message or in a group text. And pretty much they give us the state of the hospital, the number of admissions, the number of, sadly, the number of um, deaths, the number of discharges, the number of patients who are ventilated. And they always give us words of positive encouragement at the end of every text that they send out and they always thank us and you know they're very present to us I think in a situation like this that kind of leadership is really what you need to bring you forward because there's nothing like feeling informed to make you feel like you're part of a bigger group of a strong team and that's really really what you absolutely need in this situation there are positives in this it is hard to see them sometimes but certainly the positives are stories like yours where what would you take as the positives from this no i agree with you because you know in this situation you do have to look for the positives and that's one of the things i look forward to getting those texts every day because that's one of the things the particular physician who writes them he always does look for the positives in the situation and, you know, and he acknowledges the fact that every time we sustain loss, every single patient who we lose, it is a loss, and it's sad for every one of us. But you know, we also have to realize that with the number of really sick patients that we're dealing with, that that has to be expected. And I suppose, you know, you know that if you did your very best for those patients, which is all that any of us we can do we can at least take away from the fact that we did our very best. And I have to say as well at this point, I really, I commend all, all my fellow nurses and doctors in the critical care areas, but I also commend people in other departments like the radio, radiology department, physical therapy, you know, nutritional services, housekeeping, nobody ever talks about them. We wouldn't be able to keep the show on the road if it wasn't for all the hard work from people like the housekeepers. Everybody is in there pitching and doing their very, very best. And I commend every single person that I work with at the hospital because it takes a strong team of positive people to get through a crisis like this. Are you observing what's happening in Ireland? I am trying to keep an eye on what's going on at home. And of course, I'm FaceTiming with my family very regularly and they're keeping me up to date with the numbers. We're comparing numbers. And, you know, it, it's hard to be to see that the same thing is going on at home that's going on over here. And in a funny way, I sometimes think it's almost like we're a little bit further ahead of the game than we're a little bit further ahead in this progression at this point over here than I think we are at home. But I see people at home going through the same thing that we are going through and have been going through over here. And... Um, I would say my big message, if I could give a message, would be, would be please stay home, stay home, stay at home, don't, don't be going out, don't gather in groups, follow the rules that are being set in place because I'm seeing the people who are so sick from this disease who maybe could have avoided being infected if they had maybe followed the social distancing requirements, if they had maybe stayed at home. I would urge people to please stay home. Practice social distancing. Wear your gloves and wear your masks if you do have to go out. And please try to refrain from going out unless you absolutely have to. Because in order to do that, you're helping the healthcare workers, you're helping all the first responders, the, the police, 
the um, EMS, all the same, the people who keep our community turning over. It's interesting you mentioned masks because the advice mostly in Ireland from the authorities is you do not need to wear a mask. Is the advice that oh, that's you're interesting because over here they are now encouraging us to wear masks when we go shopping, when we go out at all. I mean, I don't wear a mask if I'm walking the dog around the block, but I live in a very suburban area. But if I'm going to the supermarket on the rare occasions that I go, if I have to go to the supermarket, or if you go to do curbside pickup of your takeaway food, I always wear a mask and gloves. When did that advice change? Um, well, in the last week or two, we have been strongly encouraged to be wearing masks. A lot of people are making their own masks. In fact, one of my neighbours gave us a gift, my daughter and I, of beautiful homemade masks that she made on her sewing machine. But yeah, that's been a, we have been advised to wear masks going out for probably the, at least the last week or two. So Angela and her daughter were given a homemade mask by a neighbour and... YouTube nowadays is full of videos about how to make your own mask. Now, it's probably important to say at this point that the advice here in Ireland still remains that the public does not need to wear a mask. That that advice is under review all the time and possibly it might change. But for the moment, it remains that the public does not need to wear a mask. Yeah, and it was fascinating that this was raised during the conversation with Angela. So after having a chat over Skype. I spoke to Michael Dowling, who is president and CEO of Northwell Health. He supports the wearing of masks in public areas. And also, it's interesting that earlier this month, the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, announced New Yorkers should wear face covering when they go outside or near other people. But the conversation I had with Michael Dowling was wide ranging. It was about how he views COVID-19 and the impact that it's having on New York and the services that he runs. That's uh, uh, Michael Dowling, D-O-W-L-I-N-G, and I'm the president and the CEO of Northwell Health. It's N-O-R-T-H-W-E-L-L. It's been a tough couple of weeks. It's been pretty intense. Where do you think you are now in terms of the coronavirus in New York State? Has it hit its peak? I, I think it has hit its peak. And I, you have to be careful with the numbers. So what has been happening for the past four days is the total, uh, the numbers have been relatively flat. So we are continuing to go up. Uh, each and every day by 10-15% and that's the numbers of patients coming into the hospitals. Uh, Right now it is flat and in our own health system in the last day we've seen a slight slight decrease. That's positive. Uh, So there are no, we, we now in our health system for example have more people leaving the hospital each day than are coming in. So we have to be careful because you could get a surprise here. There could be another blip on the wrong direction. So you better watch it for a period of time before you come to any definitive conclusion that uh, we are over the hump here. But, uh, but I'm, optimistic. I'm optimistic that we are. The figures are still quite staggering in terms of what we're hearing from New York. You're talking hundreds of yeah. people dying every day. Uh, this isn't something that's normal, really, is it? 
It's there is nothing normal about this, and uh, we nobody that I know has ever been through anything like this. And we've been through some difficult times here, but this is the worst we've ever seen. And also because it is so long, it continues for a long period of time. Sometimes when you have a crisis, it comes. You have it for five days, four days, even like you know 9/11 or the hurricanes. This one, however, has been going on now for close to you know five, six weeks, and uh, hopefully we are getting close to at, getting to the peak or at the peak. But um, it is unbelievably difficult. Um, our hospitals are packed. I have 23 hospitals. There are 90 over 90 percent of all patients in all hospitals are COVID patients. So they're, they're COVID hospitals, and I've had to add you know, about 1,200 new beds inside my current facilities just to accommodate the volume. And this has, this has also been done by other health systems in the region because I'm involved with coordinating it a lot for the, a lot of this for the governor. So uh, it's this, what is happening to me is happening in all the other health systems. A lot of people on vents and in our health system alone, yesterday we had 80 deaths. So we now are having it to be between 80 and 90 deaths every single day. That's a statistic that is hard to comprehend and is something that nobody's ever before experienced. And of course, on a personal level, it is a number, but behind each of those numbers, it's a personal toll even on the staff because they're helping people survive. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I today spent uh, time walking the floors of three of my hospitals and uh, the staff are just unbelievable and what it is they do each and every day. But the people who are in the hospitals that are very, very sick and those people that die, remember, there are no families allowed. So there are no families in the hospitals. There are no visitors. So you die alone. And the family is there knowing and that uh, they don't have to, they're not able to say goodbye, even though there are times and many times where we've used Skype to be able to allow a family to at least see the, 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 the person, even though they may not be able to talk to the person who's about to pass, they get a chance to see the person. That helps, but it's an unbelievable circumstance uh, to be in that situation. And if you personalize it, you ask yourself the question, if that were me, how would I feel? And obviously, it's, uh, it's a circumstance you just don't want to experience. What is the biggest challenge for you being in terms of helping to coordinate for the governor? Because it's been a pretty big mountain to climb in terms of crisis management and healthcare. Well, uh, we've done, I think, a pretty remarkably good job on this, uh, despite the circumstances. The biggest issues, obviously, are uh, creating the capacity and the beds. That you know, every hospital system had to more than uh, you know increase their bed capacity by at least fifty percent. That you can do. That's hard, but you can do it. Staffing that, however, is difficult because you've got to have the right staff, you've got to deploy the staff the right way because not every staff person can do these jobs. That's an issue. We did have an issue with uh, protective equipment. Um, we never ran out of protective equipment, but there were, there were some dysfunctions in different places because the supply chain was completely disrupted because most of the masks, for example, were always bought from China. So we had to find other sources of masks and that was an issue. The other issue which we handled, I think, remarkably well is some hospitals get unbelievably busy, totally overcrowded, and they have to move 
patients from that hospital to another hospital. In our own system, we have our own transport network, so I have about 100 ambulances. We have moved from one small location of our health system in Queens, for those people who know Queens, I have moved over about 800 patients from Queens to other parts of the region. We've had to move 60, 70 patients a day to load balance, reduce the load in one place so we increase it on another. So despite all of that, however, uh, I think we've done remarkably well. We're in control at the moment. There is nobody totally stressed out right now. As the numbers slow down coming in, we have the capacity, we have the masks, we have unbelievably committed staff. And I, as I said, I walk the floors and I spend a lot of time with staff today. And it's a humbling experience. You see the best of humanity when you're out there on the floors. People doing extraordinary work in very, very, very difficult circumstances. And it's something to be very proud of. Obviously a very busy time in New York. Do you keep a watchful eye on what's happening in Ireland? Yes, I, my whole family is in Ireland. I mean, I, I have a brother and a sister in Limerick. I have a brother in Clare. I have a brother in Dublin. And I go back and I come back back and forth quite, quite often. Um, obviously, I can't do it at the moment. But, um, yeah, I stay close to what's happening. And, you know, you basically have a complete shutdown, just like there is over here. Nothing is moving. You can get on a highway here right now, in, and, and, and there is no cars. I mean, it's a, an unreal experience to be on a highway in New York with no traffic. And I assume it's very much the same around Dublin. Um, so the policies that are being... Um, you know, implemented in Ireland are the same policies here, which is social distancing, uh, social isolation, and uh, making sure that the public complies because that's the prevention side of this. And we are emphasizing this here. And this is the danger at the moment is when you get to the point of thinking you have maybe winning this and you become overly optimistic, uh, you have to manage the facilities. But if you send the wrong message to the public, and the public decides that, well, I hear good news, everything is going to go fine, I can go back out and have parties and uh, go to the pubs and the bars or have weddings, etc., and, and stop the social isolation. That will, could potentially uh, dramatically aggravate the situation by uh, having more transmission of the disease and you're back to square one again. That's the danger. How do you ensure that that danger doesn't happen in New York because if you're talking about getting over the hump of it um, how do you counter that in terms of the message you're sharing with people in the general public because the danger always is that complacency can set in oh sure well it's making sure that the way we talk about this we're careful Uh, we say that things are looking better Uh, we don't say that we have succeeded we still, we still have all of the, the policies regarding all of the business are closed. There is a continuous educational uh, uh, job being done by everybody, including the governor, who's been doing a great job here, communicating to the public is stay the course. Uh, there is inconvenience. You've got to continue to suffer the inconvenience until we collectively decide, based upon science and based upon data, that it is safe to do something else. The big issue now for all of us, including in our health system, is as it slows down, how do we get the economy back again? And how do we get normal business back? If there ever is again going to be normal, I think it's going to be a new normal. So language is important here. Uh, it's like playing a hurling game. You don't say you won 
with five minutes to go. Because you, you never know what can come next. As you never know what can come next, you can get a dramatic surprise in the last minute and you don't win until the game is really, really over. You mentioned social distancing, social isolation. Of course, yeah. uh, the language we use here in Ireland for elderly yeah. people or seniors, as they say in the state, is cocooning. But in relation to masks, I, I talked to a nurse earlier on and she was saying at a personal level when she's out doing her groceries that she will wear a mask and that has been advised, I think, by the mayor of New York uh, quite yeah. a number of weeks ago. Where do you stand on the wearing of masks amongst the general public? Is it essential? I think it is makes a great sense and I think it's the right thing to do that when you're out, uh, and if you're anywhere around other people, you should wear a mask. If you're in your own backyard and there is nobody around, yeah, that's okay. If you're in your own home and there is nobody around, fine. But if you're outside and there is any possibility that you will be within 10 feet of another person, wear a mask. Uh, it, it's, it's, it shows your community commitment and it sends the right message. And here uh, in New York, uh, you do have those outliers that don't do it as often as they should. But generally speaking, right now, when you go out to a store or anything here, it's very well controlled and pretty much everybody's wearing a mask. So I do believe that it's the right thing to do. On a personal level, has this had a toll on you? There is the stress of managing 23 hospitals, hospitals working for the governor. But you said earlier you have walked the floors of the hospitals, you've met the staff, yeah. you've seen their stresses, you've talked to them. But when you go home, if you have a quiet moment, even if it's only five minutes in the evening, do you reflect or does anything about this threaten well, or scare you? It, uh, yeah, you, um, you know, me personally, I'm fine. I, you know, if, when you are on the floors and you do see what staff do each and every day, you realize what you do is you can't be overly worried about what you do yourself when you see what others are doing. It adds perspective to the whole thing. So when I'm home, um, I mean, it's pretty much round the clock. So it, the phone calls don't stop, don't stop until, you know, midnight. And they begin again at five the following or six the following morning. It is what you do when you're in this circumstance. When you're in a role like that is it. And that's what you do. And uh, you've got to go along with it and not complain. And, uh, I, in fact, uh, you know, I'm so proud of the staff. We've got 73,000 people. So I'm so proud of what those do that I can't say, look at me. This is not about me. It's about them. It's about the patients. And when you keep that in mind, what are you doing each and every day to make sure the public gets the best care possible? Um, that's the focus. So rather than looking inward, you look outward. And this pandemic, how does it compare to anything you've experienced in your professional life through the years? It's been by far the worst um, for a couple of reasons. I was involved and I was in government for 12 years as one of the leading persons in the state of New York. I was there during the AIDS crisis and I thought the AIDS crisis was the worst I'd ever experienced. And that was bad. I was there during Ebola crisis, H1N1, the SARS epidemic hurricanes. There is nothing to compare with this, in my view. One, because it completely changes the totality of the community. Everybody is impacted, not just a cohort of people, absolutely everybody. The people that are sick are impacted, the families are impacted, but even people who are healthy are completely impacted. 
the whole society basically is shut down. On the hospital side of it, it has been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. So anybody can tolerate high stress for a short period of time, but when that stress goes on for three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, without, without clear understanding of when it might end, I, I've never seen anything like this. This will end, we will prevail over this. But it may take, it will take a long time. I, in our hospitals right now, I have about 3,400 patients in our hospitals. I have 900 people today on vents. And you know the mortality is extremely high. When I walk the floors today, I mean, no patient is moving. No patient is talking. It, uh, you're, and you know a lot of the people that you just looked at will die. I've never been through something like this. It's eerie. It, it, it puts a new perspective on your fragility and the fragility of society in general. Like three months ago, we were all upbeat. Economy was doing great. We were going out to restaurants. We were going to bars. We were going to social events. We were going to sports events. All of a sudden, this invisible competitor, this invisible enemy that you can't see, you don't fully understand, you don't know who has it. Um, you don't know exactly what the cure is. You don't have a cure. Disrupts everything. That's something that I think gives us pause about your place in the world and how you're going to think about the future after this. You'll ask yourself the question, what's important? Who's important? What do I commit myself to doing when this is all over? These are the questions I think and I, would, and I would doubt that there is, there are few, there are people, there are many people who don't think about this these days. This is different. We've never gone through something like this before and hopefully we'll never go through it again. Um, but people are very resilient. Organizations are very resilient. Um, we have a lot of grit. We like to prevail and we will. And so we, in my view, as being one of the leaders in this business over here, you gotta have, you gotta be realistic, but you gotta have a sense of optimism. We will prevail, we will win, there is no retreat. We're not going back, we're not putting up the white flag. We will persevere until we prevail over this and that will happen. But I think that in general, people won't be completely secure until there is a vaccine and that's a year away at least. So if this is gonna be with us for a long period of time. It may, the, the, the big, the big uh, uh, you know, the high intensity, the severity of it will slow down, but it will be with us, both in Ireland and in here, for quite a while. So that's the sobering view of Michael Dowling. He's president and CEO of Northwell Health, which has 73,000 employees and 23 hospitals, and he's seeing what it's like on the front line. Kian, earlier on you had spoken to Angela Roberts. She's originally from Dublin and she's an operating nurse who's been deployed to other duties within her hospital. It's a very clear insight that you've given us through those two interviews of the desperate situation in New York. And uh, thank you for bringing us those interviews, Kian. You've been listening to Morning Ireland Extra. 
It's a podcast where we go deeper into some of the stories you may have heard on our daily radio programme. You can find that programme, Morning Ireland, on RTE Radio 1, on the RTE Radio Player and on the RTE News Now app. I'm Lisa Pereira. Thanks for listening.